0: A podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is made by the spin-off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Right now, the biggest tech app in the world, in terms of cultural reach and impact, may well be TikTok. It's where the music companies are trying to break acts. It's where memes are emerging. It's where a lot of people find their news and information. It's wildly varied. And it's kind of beautiful how so many people are able to create, share and enjoy their eccentricities, enthusiasms and interests without conforming to one style or expectation. But you wouldn't always know that from the way it is sometimes covered in the media. As perhaps the thing for kids that Trump tried to ban that ended up instead banning him. It's one of the world's biggest brands right now and a Kiwi is in London working as brand director, helming some of the biggest music and cultural activations like live streaming the Brit Awards red carpet and partnering with huge stars. Hongi Law hails from Auckland and worked in the small Uber team establishing it in New Zealand and Australia before helping launch an agency in Singapore and heading to work with TikTok. To talk being part of massive growth companies Creativity having a new way to grow and life right now in London, Hongi Law joins us now. Kia ora, thank you for being here.
1: Very happy to be here.
0: By by Zoom from a, a very different world in London at the moment. Um tell me tell me first up, like, your start before going and, and studying at business school was actually in fine arts and a degree in fine arts. Hey. Is that a was yeah. that a kind of um was that seen by people you know as a kind of unexpected choice or were there a lot of people going from fine arts to business school
1: not not a lot of people for sure um i think it, it was there was a bit of a light bulb moment for me um i went to elam it was great i loved it i was a painter i was a sculptor did all sorts of wonderful art things um and a small group of us got taken to a trip to la <laughs> we went to visit all the big galleries and Um, met with some practicing artists and I think it was the first time I really understood what commerce was (laughs) and very clearly that art was a commerce like anything else and then all of a sudden I just thought I don't have enough self-confidence to really sell myself um, as a practicing artist and obviously you know wanting to make a stable living I immediately thought I need to do something else and at the time I was actually um, interning at Gal Langsford and there was a marketing manager there, and I thought, man, whatever she's doing, I like her. She's got great energy and started sort of figuring out what this marketing thing was, looking at different business schools that might be relevant, and then just went from there, really. Yeah, what was the
0: reaction? Because, I mean, my, my view would be that there is an enormous amount of creativity in business. But perhaps, you know, when I was at university the people at Elam probably and the people at commerce school were pretty different flavors of people and probably didn't think that either one was for them. In in most cases, I'd say.
1: Yeah, I, I guess there is this shared sense of maybe entrepreneurship or like creativity and problem solving. I think that's what I've brought from my time at art school, you know, with little to no budget, couldn't even afford art supplies. You always seem to manage to find a way through Um I think what drew me to marketing was I, even at the time, if I didn't really know it or could articulate it, what I saw was an opportunity to bring creativity out into these practical, um, you know, business situations. And I, you know, I wasn't sure where it was going to take me, but I really did like the the, the element of storytelling um, and being able to sort of make human connections. Um, And obviously I kind of took a, took very much a leap of faith applying, you know, to to business school. But the more I got into it, the more I loved it. I just thought this is fantastic because on one side of the room are people who are really focused and and don't understand humans. They look at everything as numbers or kind of a metric on a page. And on the other side are people who love to tell stories and bridging that gap, to me, was what was so, so interesting.
0: And it's so interesting that you had that Um, experience of kind of seeing the commerce and art like if you look at fashion design uh, part of the fashion design course at at lots of institutions is they do dip in a little bit to uh, how you set up a business and a business plan and branding and things like that but art like especially fine art kind of pretends like you're never going to have to worry about any of this stuff and and it's not really um or, or, or is it now becoming a thing that's taught a lot more, or is it still something that's kept completely at arm's length?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I follow lots of artists who, you know, aren't traditional. Um, they, When I look at their work, and a lot of them have really maximised social media or built their own personal brands, and they've gone sort of, you know, outside of the traditional route of commerce and art, some of them don't rely so heavily on, you know, galleries or dealers. They can do a lot of that. It's almost like a direct to customer model, mm-hmm. but a hundred percent, I think it's like really understanding, you know, you, you have something to offer. How do you get that to the people who are interested in it? I mean, I guess even to the point that I see a lot of internet culture, a lot of meme culture also as art, it's just ideas being built and rebuilt and broken down and shared. Um, I don't think I, I don't have a definitive answer, but it's 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 why I'm so fascinated with, you know, how the role that the internet and entertainment and social media plays in communication, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in those roles that you've had in those, um, you, you know, big companies, tell me a little bit about getting into Uber as it kind of established itself in New Zealand and Australia, as it was something that had been so much part of the culture, but hadn't been available. And then, um, you know, extraordinary growth to be part of. Uh, Yeah. Tell me about your journey into Uber.
1: Well, it's a funny journey because they didn't want me for a very long time. I, you know, obviously I was kind of coming with a bit of a mixed background. I'd worked a whole bunch of odd jobs, copywriting, being a photographer, doing a whole bunch of weird things. Um, and when I was looking for a new role, moving back from Sydney, I met with the Uber team and they just had a whole different energy. And I, you know, at the time I couldn't have articulated it, but I think it's something in that entrepreneurship and that spirit of building. Um, So I actually didn't get offered the role, but I just kept messaging the GM. I think I emailed him once a week until eventually he was like, fine, come on in. You can come and be an intern for us. Um, The team was at the time, maybe four people. um, And it was really great. It was really hard. And, you know, as you said, uber wasn't part of the vernacular you know i had to explain to my parents to my friends what this crazy thing was that was taking up you know the majority of my free time the majority of my working days this thing that we were absolutely obsessed with and now it's obviously synonymous it's it's literally what you describe um to kind of get from a to b but um it was, it was such a great learning experience. I was in a role at the beginning in operations, so something that does not come naturally to me, you know, numbers, data, analytics, all of those things don't kind of... I, I mean, I went to art school, so it's, really, it's pretty clear that those things aren't my strong suit, but because I was forced to really get really deep, really own those numbers, really be accountable for the work that we were doing, Um, it made me really get comfortable with a part of the business that maybe I wouldn't have been exposed to if I purely stayed on a creative route or purely stayed on a marketing route. So that was super beneficial. But um, to your point, it's not easy building a brand when, you know, you might not have um, any credibility when you don't have, you really don't have any credibility. Um, But also, you're almost starting off as a negative, you're kind of seen as this Big disruptor, not local, not a part of the fabric of the society. That that job is is really hard for sure. Yeah,
0: wildly hard. I mean, that's so interesting you saying about the the tenacity to get in there and just kind of like keep keeping on going and taking any role. There's that great expression, you know, when you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, you don't ask which seat, you just kind of jump in and do it. But yeah, what a what a difficult role as it was a bad guy in the media as being the thing that was coming in and disrupting the taxi service and, you know, uh, the drivers could be scary or, you know, and, and out of the number of journeys that were taken, you know, the, the minute percentage of bad things happening got covered terribly when, of course, there's always been a minute percentage of bad things happening in traditional taxis or public transport or or whatever. Uh, but But, yeah, but... What's it like to be working, as, as you did in the end in the kind of marketing and brand team, um, for something that, yeah, is, is having to run into those headwinds? And I guess some of the headwinds would have also been exacerbated by stuff happening in senior management in other countries that had nothing to do with you that also became bad guys in the media.
1: Yeah, I, it is undoubtedly not easy. I think you get really, really comfortable with discomfort. You grow a thick skin really, really quickly. But I also think it's, you know, from a personal growth perspective, it is also almost beneficial to be able to be put in those really tough situations. I think two parts that I really take out of kind of working through those periods is one, like really having a macro view on the world. So I feel like, you know, if you work in a particular industry, especially in tech, you it becomes really insular. It's this echo chamber where things do feel really monumental, especially kind of headlines. But the reality is 90% of the world don't care. <laughs> um, or, you know, like it, the world kind of continues on, right, regardless. Um, so I think it's having that one foot on the ground being quite important. And then the other side of kind of continuing with your work is, really knowing what you're working for. Um, I think a lot of us, and especially in the early Uber days, we really believed in um, the the work that we were putting in every day, the output, what we were doing to change transport, accessibility. I mean, even on a personal level, I used to think about this all the time. It used to cost me $20 um, to get a taxi from the bottom of Queen Street to the top of Queen Street. And the taxi driver would name me Get, up, get out at an ATM and get cash. And then when Uber came along, that was like a $5 ride. And all of a sudden the world opened up for me in terms of safety, you know, as a woman traveling, being having freedom going out at night, things like that. So at, even at a personal level, I really believed what we were doing. It was this um, disruption, but only to challenge maybe something that was missing in the market. And I think um, as a marketer, I also think about being really clear that you're understanding consumer need and building that need and communicating that need and bridging the gap between a new product, whether it be disruptive or not disruptive, um, to you know what people need and want. And that
0: safety element and the convenience element, like these days, if you, if you have to call a cab and you're like, oh, that's right, you, you call up and you wait a couple of minutes and then You talk to someone and then...
1: (laughs) Or you wait wait a few hours and they don't show up.
0: (laughs) And and then you say, could you please tell me how long you might be? And they go, oh, maybe 10 minutes. And then you wonder if they're going to turn up. And then, like you say, you you drive and you have to stop and get out and go to an ATM or pay some kind of big loading to use your card. And it's a big faff at the end and it adds a couple of minutes. Um, And and that safety thing, you know... um, you know, so many women at the end of night. If if a if a woman was getting popped into a taxi, they'd make sure that they called and talked once they got home because it was such a concern. And in an Uber environment, that concern has dropped back. I'm sure it's still still present, um, but but dropped back quite a lot. Like it is such a remarkable change that we then we then do take for granted quite quickly.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think having something like an Uber that challenges in industry with technology, it also kind of makes everybody catch up too, right? I, I, I remember when when I was working in New Zealand, all of the other competitors also start to step up their game, also started to think about how do they build technology into their systems? How are they reliable? How do they get more information to their customers? So um, I, I obviously there are a few Um, you know bad operators it's definitely not every single taxi that does that but I think it's competition is healthy in every single industry Um, in terms of safety I mean you know like you said there's you've got to have common sense in everything but if there's technology that you can build that can help that you know that's that's the key.
0: Yeah there there was no way to see a rating ahead of time as to whether someone was uh, mainly good or mainly not and, and yeah and, and then exactly out of out of Uber, which you, you know um, must have been quite a wild ride with the growth and also the kind of um, the, the social uh, elements around it, working for you know wildly fa- famous company at the moment. What was your next step into agency land?
1: Yeah um, well when I so I actually moved with Uber into Singapore. And looked after driver brand for Asia-Pacific, which was also an amazing opportunity, kind of launching the business into countries like Myanmar and Cambodia. Um, And I had an agency, they were actually my agency called Forshman and Böndafurs, this uh, really amazing Swedish creative. And the managing director at the time actually said to me, we're going to open up an office in Singapore would you like to come and join us? And obviously with my background, I'd always had this itch, like, should I be closer to the creative work? Because I think, you know, when you're client side and especially at a really, you know, operational or um, tech heavy environment, you have to really fight for creativity. I have to be honest sometimes. So when the opportunity came up to be closer to creative, really be at the heart of it um, with one of the best creative agencies in the world, I, I didn't, I don't think even I hesitated. I kind of jumped on it immediately. Um, and that was great because one, I loved how um, the agency thought and their creative process was very diplomatic and open. It was just really, really similar in culture, even to how we were at Uber um, the openness of sharing and meritocracy and ideas. It was fantastic. And I got to work on, you know, really big global campaigns, did a lot of things in China. I really learnt that brand storytelling inside and out for sure. And then after
0: a couple of years in Singapore to London, and was it with that resume then of having worked with Uber, helped establish it in a couple of territories? set up an agency that's a outpost of a global superstar in in a new territory and worked there for a number of years. You know, what was the reception like when you tried to get jobs in London?
1: Oh, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard being an immigrant at any time, I think, but especially when you're kind of moving, relocating. I, I didn't relocate to London with TikTok. Um, and even at the time, TikTok was absolutely unknown um I remember telling people that I was really interested in this company and um I I don't think it's luck of the draw if I'm completely honest again I think it's that persistence I think I applied for maybe five or ten roles at TikTok before I landed my current position and thank goodness that this was the role I got in the end because um a lot of the other positions in retrospect were not my expertise. They were in performance marketing or maybe they led up a sales team or something like that. So I'm really glad that things worked out the way it did. But I don't know, maybe it's not such a um, – I'd hate to I hate to say luck, but I feel like there's a definitely a dash of luck in there. And to just share persistence, I'm sure the hiring manager would have been like, I can't believe this, this girl is – emailing us again (laughs) we've already given her 10 rejections but here we go
0: (laughs) what was it about that company that you were so keen to get in to work at
1: I yeah it was the product so I mean I guess you know I live and breathe content um, content of any kind but in, in particular I remember downloading the app and I think I had worked on a campaign in China and Somebody had shown me Douyin, which is the Chinese version of the app. I spent some time on it when I was working in China. And when I went back to Singapore, I downloaded TikTok. And at that time, and honestly, we still are trying to figure out how do we explain the magic of TikTok. But at that time, I really couldn't put my finger on it. I was really enjoying the product as a user. I could see the potential and really unearthing talent and creativity and at the at the time also it was just so unpretentious um you know everything else all the other platforms you were seeing polished perfect lives beautiful makeup high production quality and then here was somebody in their sweatpants at 3am showing you their frog doing a backflip or something you would never thought you wanted to see right um the algorithm seemed really intuitive it could understand very quickly the type of content you were interested in so really it was just because i i was such a i was such an avid user i thought there's something so special about it i don't understand this product i want to get closer to it and i just kept persisting and even when I got the job, like, half the people that I knew were like, "What? what is this company? Is it a clock company? Is it a <laughs> – what is it? What, what do you do? <laughs> I mean, it, it, um,
0: even today, I think, you know, when you mentioned there about it allows for that unpolished creativity and for more people to be able to share things that they're interested in, I think that's the thing about TikTok that just isn't always appreciated by people who aren't using it and that um, if you – If you like things and show the algorithm what you're interested in, you'll be shown more of those things. And every person's TikTok experience is a completely different journey. And if you've liked a whole lot of things about books, then you'll get a whole lot of book content. And, you know, it's it's wild how many people out there are just sharing things that they love or are interested in and, and how, how many kind of different experiences you can have. And they're all valid. And you don't have to be, have gone to the right school and got past the gatekeepers and have the right looks or, or whatever. Like there's that kind of freedom for everyone to be able to share what they're interested in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on such an interesting point because it's, I mean, it's what I think about day in, day out is how do I get people to understand a product when they haven't experienced it? And like you have that in any business, but I feel like there's just a level of difficulty, exactly as you said, because everybody's experience of the product is so different. So if I were to tell you, TikTok is all about football content it might not be relevant for you because your feed might be completely different or football's not relevant to you. So it, it's a conundrum because at the same time, TikTok in itself is a really strong brand, but then simultaneously, um, the product does a different thing for everybody and meets a different need. So yeah, I scratch my head every day about that <laughs> for sure. Without foresight or vision, the people will be lost. Kia ora koutou, I'm Stacey Morrison. Join me for Conversations That Count, Ngā Kōrero Whaitake, a new series brought to you by Massey University and The Spin-Off. I'll be chatting to academics, activists and industry leaders to turn a unique lens on the issues impacting Aotearoa and Te Ao whanui. From structural equality to liberalising drug policy, Implications for our mokupona, and more. We'll bring you thought-provoking kōrero about the things that count for all of us. New episodes will be available each month, so subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Yeah, and the, the misperceptions, you know, misconceptions about about what what what. what um, what it is, are, of course, exacerbated by the media that covers everything that has anything to do with young people, as if it's, like, something from outer space that's going to turn them all into zombies or ruin the world. <laughs> like, yeah. And then the the China connection as well with the media and, um, and, and, and Trump trying to ban it and the like. What's it like, again, working in a brand team when the kind of geopolitical forces way outside of um, things that you're in control must... Come into your day-to-day.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, I said before, you kind of grow a really tough skin. I feel like it helps when you have a tough skin and you can keep kind of your eye on the prize. Um, I had this really fantastic mentor and um, my one of my directors at Uber, he really drill in, he really drilled into me quite 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 strongly that brand is the safety net for the whole business. So whilst it's great to be, you know, really data driven, performance driven, we need to remember that like, and at the end of the day, we're talking to people. Um, And I've written this down so that I don't get it wrong. (laughs) But um, I, I kind of have this anecdote that I use when I speak with non marketers, is that you can't like something you don't know. So in terms of brand building and brand safety, and you know, navigating through kind of difficult times it's not much different from like having a really good friendship so it takes time it takes consistency and it takes really clear communication um so i think you know as a brand guardian you just have to be really laser focused on the long-term goal and remind yourself that it is insular it's not always insular because i know sometimes the headlines really are global Um, but you know to you, there's no storm you can't weather if you're really consistent with you know who you and who who the team and who your what your brand is
0: and what kind of stuff are you doing as brand director with TikTok out of London ah uh, as, you know, I talk to people in um, the music profession and they're all trying to break songs on TikTok and you talk to people in entertainment and they're, they're all trying to break their artists. And, you know, it, it's it's become such a kind of central point for so many people trying to make stuff happen in TikTok. But how do you make TikTok happen in the wider world?
1: It's such a good question. I think, um, <laughs> you know, I think TikTok... And this is purely my personal opinion because, you know, I, I'm the first to be quite open to say that, you know, the the hyper growth of the business is also paired with a lot of change management, the hyper growth of the team, right? So there's a lot of discomfort on lots of different um, areas, but we're also driven to kind of get the business going and growing. Um, I think for us, for some people, for me, um, part of it is just stepping out of the way and letting the platform do its job to help the community kind of emerge this really amazing creativity and talent. How we bring that to the world is, is I don't know, It's 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 that really difficult but magical space where you're trying to not dumb down the creativity too much, but make it palatable so that you get a taster for people who don't know or aren't familiar um
0: yeah the, the un- i think the unpredictability and unpolishedness that is so central to it must be hard to capture in something external facing
1: yeah i mean you know you, you try to explain i think we had this funny sort of anecdote which was like you ever try to explain a TikTok to a person, it's not going to make any sense. Even if it was the most hilarious video you've ever seen, um, there was no way that you could describe it. So I think a part of my job is really to figure out who do we work with um, and who are the people who are really active on platform that gives us a bridge to off-platform to build that friendship, that communication um, and those long lasting brand safety nets that kind of ensures that you know we're in the market for good and for a very long time. And
0: working in these big corporate kind of companies and these you know very successful kind of environments was that something that you know business was something you came to quite late was that something that you expected to have part of life?
1: No absolutely not (laughs) I mean you know i was very adamant coming out of high school that, you know, art was the end all and be all of my life. So it was shifted very quickly. But, you know, even even to this day, I kind of kick myself sometimes because if you would have told 14-year-old me or even, you know, university age that this would be my day-to-day or this would be my job, I wouldn't have even known that this was something that people get paid to do every day. Um, and I think when I was growing up um, – You know, I came from an immigrant family, very low socioeconomic um, environment. I only knew one adult person who worked in an office and they were an accountant. So, you know, very specialised roles. Um, So I think it's really open. Even even every day I'm sitting at the table looking around me thinking, gosh, I'm very lucky to be here. But also... um, I hope, I hope other people know that there's room at the table for them as well, um, even if they don't know that there's seats here.
0: Yeah, and how, so you showed the tenacity to kind of keep going to, to get to those places, but like, how do people know that like, after the ninth no, there might be a yes if they, you know, if they listen to the first no, if they don't feel that there is a seat at the table? <sighs> I think... Should it take nine no's?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Now that I'm looking back, I'm like, gosh, I was so irritating and persistent. Um, I think part of it is, you know, the other day I was talking to somebody and they used... I don't know whether it was derogatory at all, but they were like, you've really got that down-under spirit. And it made me think about, like, (laughs) well, what's different about my spirit compared to all of everyone else's spirit? I think there is something about entrepreneurship and maybe not even you know maybe some of that naivety you can use to your favor um I I also know that in a lot of leadership you try to stay naive you know always challenge your own misconceptions maybe there's something in that why you keep going why you keep pushing and asking and um making sure that you know you don't it's not so much like not being satisfied I think it's like keeping the curiosity alive um and and keeping the fun in it i don't think I don't think Nose are um you know hard doors it's more just well let's pick it up later
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah what what advice would you give to people who um you know would would lo- would love to have a place they'd love to work and maybe don't immediately fit uh you, you know like um don't feel they fit although they they definitely should fit in, into a place like how, how have you used kind of creativity as, and, um, and yeah, like shown, shown what you can bring ahead of time to places?
1: Yeah, I think maybe like two points. One is if you're in a position to kind of make decisions, to kind of look past tenure and experience, right? Because I think underneath it, maybe there's culture and spirit, good old down under spirit. Um, but I think that's one thing that you can see within a person regardless of their background and maybe like their education status but then also on the other hand is um not not limiting yourself to maybe things you're not sure of I I think like I would have and I still do catch myself you know the whole imposter syndrome should I be here am I good enough for this but you really don't know until you try. And I think it's a bit of a cliche to say, you know, you you, you can't turn down an offer you haven't gotten. So you may as well kind of reach for as many as possible. But I think that really is true, especially if you don't come from a typical background. If you don't, like you say, have um, the, the right education or the right background or know the right people, I think it's still worth pushing on um, and just giving it a go. It's not very... It's not very practical, is it? It's it's, it's a soft piece of advice. <laughs>
0: yeah, but, but yeah, but believe in yourself until the others do. As it yeah. seems to be, uh, it's a hard
1: thing to do, though. Yeah,
0: but yeah. yeah, amazing.
1: I think I think also just like trying to trying to figure out what is it that drives you. I think what I was really attracted to was building and challenging norms. So I think that was true of Uber. That was true of some of the creative work. Definitely true of TikTok. What's the most exciting is to me, is businesses that redefine things. And it could be as small as, you know, um, it doesn't need to be big tech companies, but it's it's really figuring out, like, okay, what is it in the work that's really speaking to me? And then just trying to find more opportunities to do that.
0: Awesome. And um, as a final question, something that we always like to ask everyone is, what, what will success be for you? Like, um, what... You, you know, uh, other companies, It's the high growth world, like um, working and in, in, living in London, which normally I imagine would be very exciting and for the last nine months has probably been really hard. Um, yeah, what what will success be for you at a business and a personal level?
1: I think where I really find joy is where you... Meet where you kind of cross section business and strategy versus creativity, and that sweet spot in the middle is when you do really great brand and creative work. And I know that you know some people really cringe at the thought of commercials, but um, at the heart of it, it's speaking to people, changing people's minds, helping educate. Um, Success isn't you know it's not it's it's not a tangible goal, but I think in every piece of campaign work. Or strategy, or um, you know, every piece of communications. I think success for me is: did we get that? Did we hit that sweet spot, and and really speak to someone, or or you know, millions of people?
0: That's so so magic. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us and, and sharing your story today. That's Hongi Lau, who's the brand director for TikTok out of London. Gilda, thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you very much to Tina Tiller for producing and uh, thank you very much for having us along in your ears and listening. Mm-hmm. Cheers.
1: You've been listening to Business is Boring presented by Simon Pound and brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation.
0: From The Spin-Off Podcast Network that was Business is Boring brought to you by Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on Spark Lab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment?